from Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 123. Today's show is brought to you by our friends at Encapsula, FreshBooks, and Mac Weldon. My name is Mike Hurley. I'm joined by Mr. Jason Snow. Aloha, Jason Snow. Aloha, Mike Hurley. It's uh, it's good to be back. We uh, listeners heard us a week ago, but mm-hmm. we actually haven't talked for a couple weeks because we pre-recorded the Upgradies. So like all good award shows. Mm-hmm. Pre-taped, <laughs> sure. Yes, uh, pre-taped. In case Important. of any run-ins, you know, as we said. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. I do want to notice. There's just note that this is episode 123. Yes. Easy as one, two, three. Exactly. Which means the upgrade has now caught up with Connected. Oh, interesting. Because we just published episode 123 last week. So if trends continue, upgrade will pass Connected next year. Well, it's just because we're consistent, Mike. That's that. That's the important thing. Is where we just you post it every week. Have we missed a week? We've never missed a week. I don't think we have. We may have missed one, but I don't think we have. I've had a couple of guest hosts to fill mm-hmm. in, but I don't think we've missed a week. Nope. So, good for us. So the Upgradies does. Yes. It gives us the ability to just to, to pass through that Christmas week unscathed. Mm-hmm. That's right. And it, that's good. That's good because I was, I was gone. Uh, we'll get to it. We have some follow-up about where we were because neither of us was, was uh, near our home nope. in the last week. Mm-hmm. Talking about the Upgradies, Johnny rode him with a pretty good suggestions shouldn't yeah. the worst gadget or screw up category get a downgrady at the upgrady awards <laughs> do you know what i really agree with this and hope i yeah. can remember it <laughs> yeah let's try to remember that for next year so johnny set a reminder uh for december and let us know you're talking to you're talking to johnny like he's a, a voice assistant mm-hmm. uh hey johnny set a reminder <laughs> to tell mike to make it a downgrady in December. Perfect. <laughs> Something like that. Boop, boop. Bleep, bloop. Thank you, Johnny. Johnny Five is alive. Yeah. It's a great suggestion. Um, it, it did is. make me think, like, is there... You know how, like, the, you, you get, like, those, those award shows that are just for making fun of things? Is there, like, an April Fool's edition of the Upgradies, which is the Downgradies? Oh my god! I hope not. <laughs> Who do we have to ask about that one? That sounds terrible. Okay, well, I it's ask like the, the person who makes the decision, which is you. Yeah, well, we'll we'll, we'll see. T- ask me. I like uh, I like um uh uh April Fool's things. Mm-hmm. So you never know. There could be there could be a downgradies uh, coming your way in April. Otherwise, it will just uh, bec- remain as a section of the upgradies. Do we yeah. need more awards and drafts on this show? I don't know. I don't. I don't know. know. Do. Somebody else. So, so do you want to mention that you did a draft on one of your other podcasts that I've infest? I, I've ruined you and Stephen Hackett now forever. Yeah, we did a predict Apple predictions draft on Connected last week, um, mm-hmm. in which I decided to go big or go home, and picked some <laughs> truly outrageous uh, well, predictions. That sounds familiar. Yeah, sounds, yeah. sounds sounds like your your strategy for drafting well, things. Well, I don't know. I mean, you can look at the previous event drafts, and I think you've tended to be the most outrageous in hindsight. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Well, until I decided I wanted to win, but mm-hmm. I, I think for entertainment purposes, being making outrageous predictions is great. And if you get one right, you're going to be able to point to it and say, "See, look at that. Who would have guessed?" Well, this is what I said on the show. This is the basis of Michael's right. Is yeah. picking things that nobody else. <laughs> <laughs> would believe in and then you're sure. one of them and then you're you know you're you're already smart 
like big phones. Mm-hmm. Everyone thought I was was crazy. Some people still do. Mm-hmm. Many people have come around to it. Nose tapping. Yeah, all sure. of many things. people. Nose tapping. That's a real thing. Yeah, I do it. I do it every now and then, and I think to myself, "Damn it, Mike." <laughs> On episode one hundred and twenty-one of the show, so we're going uh, mild catalog now. Um, we were talking about, and I think maybe an episode prior to that as well. We, we've been talking a bunch about where Apple products have been made, um, right? And Mahir wrote in to say that his iMac, which was a 2013 pre Retina, was assembled in the USA. So mm. my, you know, my assumption is parts made in China or sourced right. from China, assembled in the USA. And he said, "What about?" Hours. So we have done some searching. Um, yes. I don't know where it's printed on my iMac. Uh, I took a look and couldn't find it, but luckily I have my iMac box just sitting here in my office, which I kept for when we moved. And I was able to find out that my iMac was actually assembled in Ireland, which I did not expect. Yeah, that that's weird. I mean, I guess, I guess Mac... I I didn't understand this, realize this, but yeah, I guess Mac th- Mac products get assembled in all sorts of different places if they're assembling in Ireland, which must have something to do with like EU import regulations or something. Maybe. That if it's if if the parts are assembled inside the EU, that can be advantageous. So a lot of products in the EU are are assembled in Ireland. I I didn't know that. Or if I did know it, I totally forgot it. I did get a build to order, right? Where I, I didn't just buy one of the stock ones. Like I wanted a bigger SSD and more RAM and that sort of stuff. I have no idea if that plays into the into like the decision. You know, like I don't know if they have maybe like regular ones in China. And then if you want a build to order, like they have the parts in Ireland and they put them together. I don't know, but... That might know. play into the decision, who knows. But this is something... I had no idea that any Macs were assembled in Europe. Yeah, it's... Uh, it, by the way, the, all the FCC information, all of the, all of your regulatory, that little printed fine print stuff that has to be on the computer somewhere, I believe on the iMac, it's under the foot. Mm. I'm pleased I had the box because I was not going to lift up my iMac before the show today. Yeah, and I, my iMac doesn't have a foot, but it's printed also um, on, on Vesa mount iMacs. It's printed on the inside of the block uh so i can actually see it if i look straight down at my imac it's inside the mounting bracket block Um, and mine was assembled in china as we've learned with airpods apple love to hide that stuff Um, they do they don't want to they they don't want you you don't want to see it and they don't want you to see it so they'll do like what's the minimum contrast we can do what's the smallest type we're allowed and where can we put it that nobody will notice that it's there didn't they get away with something recently with the iPhone and that they're able to remove a lot of that in the US? That it's yeah, just not so. there anymore? It's yeah. not the case um, outside, like in Europe, that the stuff's still printed on the back of the phone. Um, but I believe that it's uh, that they're able to hide a bunch of it in the US now because I know that people were saying, but I'm happy that made them. Um, Kyle is asking, where is it in the AirPods? It's like printed in all of the places <laughs> that you would not be able to see easily like if you open up your airpods case you're able to kind of like peer inside of where the headphones rest and there's some tiny print on the inside on, on, of that. on the yeah it's on the inside of the cap right yeah it's on the inside or- of the cap and then there's um <laughs> there's some printing on the underneath of the earbud so i'll put a link yeah. in the show notes where uh a good friend of the show casey Liss, was taking pictures and there's a a good photo from uh rafael 
to back to him showing some additional print. Like Apple really wanted to hide that from the AirPods because they had some funny places they could put it, which you can't do on the iPhone, right? Like if you have right. to display this stuff on the iPhone, there's nowhere to hide it. But with the yeah. AirPods, you can hide it. And they try. Oh, they try. They do their very best. Um, Elias has uh, got in contact with us. You may remember Elias is the person um, who originally recommended that Jason try out the Flash Air storage card, right. SD card, for you to uh, improve your iPad podcasting workflow. Um, right. Elias has written a whole blog post about his iOS podcasting setup, which is... Um, it's it's tricky uh, and a little convoluted, but he makes it work for him. Um, and there are some tricks and tips in there for people that are trying to do the same. Yeah, it's um, it's it's super tricky. <laughs> Basically, it's it's super tricky. Um, but you can do it if you. He he has a lot of um, different setups, and he made these flowcharts, which are mm-hmm. kind of amazing and very useful. And, yeah, the and he put one of one of mine in there. Um, he was nice enough to to send me an email about it, that. He put my the one where I uh, double record, or you know, I'm recording using the XLR port on the on that uh, Audio Technica mic, and then using the USB to go into the the iPhone or the mm-hmm. iPad. And uh, so he put that in there. But uh, his his methods are fascinating because he has the he has some pretty wacky adapters. They're like splitters, and they're they're um. And some of them are using the headphone data, which is a different splitter that's required for that than the uh, than the microphone information. So there's like a microphone plug splitter and a headphones plug splitter, and that's this is why he made all those charts. Yeah, but it, you know it it works for him, and and you know this is this is the workaround for uh, the fact that iOS just doesn't let you record audio device audio or app audio mm-hmm. on device and so instead what you end up doing is intercepting your microphone audio as it goes in intercepting the audio from skype as it comes back out uh routing it to you but also routing it to a recorder it's you know again this is what happens the mac users know this because back in the day um and some people still do this, but uh, back in the day, that was a, a common way that you did audio stuff on the Mac is you'd have multiple Macs or you would have a Mac with plugs that would run into like a mixer. And there were, all, you know, you can do almost all that stuff on in software now with tools like Audio Hijack and Loopback. But, uh, you know, the analog hole has always been there. Uh, and and uh it's just it's an amazing piece of work by Elias to to do this. I, I love that he's continuing to hammer on this. I also know now that he will be the canary in the coal mine um, when there's another option for doing any of this. I suspect he will be on top of it. <laughs> so that's yeah. good to know. You are a reporter in the field, Elias, <laughs> letting us know about any weird dongles and cards that you might uncover. So we mentioned that we've been on some trips. You've been in. Uh, Hawaii. Yes. Aloha. Where where were you? What what island were you on? Uh we were in Kauai and uh we had a great time. We went uh, my family went um a couple days before New Year's, so we got to actually spend New Year's Eve in Hawaii and there were fireworks at uh, at uh, uh Poipu Beach that we went to. It was pretty great. Um and uh then uh, my wife's 
uh, parents and uh, her sister and and her sister's husband came on the first on New Year's Day, and then we rented a house in uh, Princeville, which is in the north uh, part of the island. And so that that group, large group, uh, got to we we spent the rest of the week together. It was pretty great. Pretty great. That sounds lovely. Hawaii is so high on my list of places to go, and it's very far for you. Very it far. is very far, very far. Mm. Like at this point, I'm saving it for. Uh, a hopeful honeymoon destination. Yeah, that's um, not a bad one. That we would split with a trip somewhere else in the U.S., right? So it's, sure. it's not too much in one go. Yeah, because it's about five hours from the West Coast to mm-hmm. uh, to Hawaii. It's it's a it's a long it's a long way. Yeah, for for many people that I know in the U.K. that that choose Hawaii as a honeymoon destination, I know a few people that have done that. They'll go to somewhere like Vegas or San Francisco or yeah. L.A. first. Spend yep. a few days there and then go on to Hawaii, and that's what I hope that we'll do. Um, Makes sense. Just because I want to go there so bad and it's so beautiful that I want to couple it with an occasion, um, and I think that that might be a, a good reason. Or you know, me, me and Adina both turned thirty in the same year, so well, we could do that. But we had a great um, moment flying. So we flew through Honolulu on the way back, and as we're leaving Honolulu, there was a moment where. Um, so we were sort of moving. <laughs> so Kauai is kind of to the north, uh, northwest. And then we went to Oahu because that's where Honolulu is. And then as we're leaving Oahu to fly back to San Francisco, um, uh, we had a great moment where we're flying between where it's the channel between, um, Oahu and the islands to the, uh, to the Southeast. And I could see from my airplane window, I could see, um, uh, the islands of Molokai and Lanai right in front of me with, with Maui and the West Maui mountains behind that. And then I could see in the distance, I could see the two big volcanic peaks on the big island. So I managed to see all the major islands in, you know, on my trip back, which was kind of cool. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I was like going there. I, I, I've been there um, several times in my life. And every time I go there, I think, why do I not come here? every every year and the answer is because you got to fly five hours to get there and it's not it's and it's expensive when you get there but it's beautiful i love it um i took a a surprise trip for some people um over to the u.s Mm -hmm. for new year's Uh, i previously said that we were going to be traveling to romania but we weren't and the reason i had been saying this uh is that i knew i knew knew. i just want to be clear i knew all along you were one of the small handful of people that knew (laughs) uh because we were we went out to new york we we were there for a couple of days staying with uh, marco and tiffany arment who we then drove with to virginia to the underscores home uh david and lauren and the reason this was all a secret is that we were surprising uh casey Liz and Aaron Liz, me and Adina, by showing up. Um, and as I mentioned on Analog um, this week, John Syracuse was collateral damage in the surprise. He also uh, didn't know that we were going to be there, but really we were going there to surprise Casey. And and uh, the Syracuse's got a surprise as well, um, but really this was just because everybody knew how much it would break Casey's brain if we just appeared, and it did, uh, which was awesome. Beautiful. And I have a video f- uh, footage of this all unfolding, um, of course, on my vlog on YouTube, which oh. I will put in the, in the show notes. So you can right. see the moment at which Casey's brain kind of gives out on him for a second, which is kind of incredible uh, to see. Did you have a good uh, good trip? Was it was it fun? Yeah, it was a lot to, of fun to be be in the on the. So you were down in Virginia mm-hmm. then after leaving New York. 
Mm-hmm. Right, it's a little East Coast, uh, East Coast New Year's trip for you. Yeah, it was nice. It was really relaxed, and it was nice to be able to spend some time uh, with with a small selection of my close friends in regular environments, which I always enjoy immensely uh, because I see most of my friends as part of conferences and events. Right. So I really like it when we can be normal people together. Um, <laughs> So getting to see everybody with their families is, uh, is something that means anyway. a lot to me, you know, because, you know, you get to see the whole families, you get to see their children, and, and you get to see more of the person um, as opposed to it all just being centered around conference right. stuff. Yeah, well, no, it's it's a very different, that's that's something that people may not, uh, might, may not know about. Uh, these people who talk on podcasts and and write articles on the internet and things like that is that um, we are often I mean these are our friends and colleagues and we we talk on the internet to them and all that and we see them in person but it is extremely rare that we have any kind of normal personal interaction time right it's generally at a conference or something where everybody's traveling and there are lots of things to go to or parties to go to, or you're, you're in large groups. And it is, um, it's weird, right? Because that, that I think it misses a major portion of a, uh, any kind of, uh, any kind of friendship to be own, sort of like you see, you talk to people on the internet and then you occasionally see them in these super hyped up kind of circumstances and so that it's cool what i'm saying is it's cool that you had the opportunity to spend some much more kind of calm time with people you know that's great and i i any opportunity i get to do things like that i i jump at like for example when uh every year wwdc when a bunch of us descend upon the snow household yeah right it's a similar kind of thing like we're all just having a meal together in your home Although even then, it's like 18 people in a house. It's not yeah, quite it's the still, same. It's as... still a little bit more elevated than if it was just me popping over <laughs> yeah. for tea. Uh, but that's right. tricky to Ooh, do. Tea. So yeah, I try and I try yeah. and maximize these things. And it was a really, really lovely trip. And I'm very pleased that we uh, that we did it and that we were able to keep the secret from Casey. That's beautiful. We Surprises. We did. We did my um, on my uncle's 50th birthday. We did a uh, we 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 flew and he lived in Florida at the time. We flew to Florida. Uh, my parents and I, and um, he, neither he nor my grandmother, who also lived in Florida, um, knew we were coming. And uh, those are very special surprises. Mm-hmm. Although I believe they let my my grandmother in on it a little bit early, only because they wanted to be gentle with her um, and not <laughs> frighten her to death or something yep. like that. Yep. yep. Well, where we just went full on out for my uncle, and it was uh, it was pretty funny. That, that I love those surprises when when you can pull them off, which is hard because usually it's it's not worth it because there's too much complication. But mm-hmm. you you managed it. It's great. We did. This week's episode of Upgrade is brought to you by Mac Weldon. Talking about travel, um, I got to travel in my favorite traveling pants uh, for a couple of days, which was great. And they are my Mac Weldon sweatpants. Um, I was also wearing Mac Weldon underwear. Um, but that they weren't the pants that I was referring to. But, you know, whatever floats your boat. But I did get to travel in my Mack Weldon sweatpants, which are so comfortable. <laughs> uh, I am a huge fan of them. When I'm on, like, these eight-hour plane journeys, um, I've decided now that I, I just want to be comfortable. And You are going to start taking flights just to wear the, the, uh, the sweatpants, aren't you? 
Just I like think we're getting to air. that point now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe I will, I don't know, I'll, I'll fly over and pick up some more from Macworldon, who knows. But <laughs> Macworldon is a great company that provides you with a fantastic shopping experience to get really smart looking premium fabrics on your body. They believe in making it easy for you to buy. They make it easy for you to wear because everything is comfortable and you will look good in it and you will feel good wearing it. They make the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants that you'll ever wear. And they even have some magic science with their silver underwear and shirts, which are naturally antimicrobial. So they will eliminate odor. And uh, no matter how many times I talk about Macwaldon, I cannot say that word. Antimicrobial? I always put antimicrobial. Extra there you go. I always put extra R's in there and call it antimicrobial. Um, oh, interesting. Nope. Uh, yeah, don't know what to do about that. Macworld and want you to be comfortable. If you don't like the clothes that you get, if you don't like your first pair of uh, of underpants that you get from Macworld, and they will refund you and uh, ask you that you keep it. They do not want you to send it back. Please, under no circumstances, return your Macworld and underwear, even if you do not like it. Uh, maybe you can dispose of it or recycle it, but they don't want it. Uh, and they will still refund you, no questions asked, because that's what they believe in. Not only do Mac Weldon's underwear, socks, and shirts look good, they perform well too. They're good for working out, going out, or just for everyday life. Listeners of this show can get 20% off at MacWeldon.com with the code UPGRADE. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Code UPGRADE to get 20% off. Thank you so much to Mac Weldon for their support of this show and Relay FM. Let's go from Mac Weldon to Mac Welding. Uh, it's 10 uh, years hmm. since the introduction of the iPhone today as we record on January the 9th. And uh, the reason that I am talking about Macworld now is because 10 years ago when Steve Jobs took to the stage um, at Macworld Expo, yes. you were still working for Macworld magazine at that point. <laughs> 10 years ago, yes, I was. So there's a lot of still. Macworld involved in this. Now, what yes. was your position at Macworld 10 years ago? I'm sure I was the editor in chief at that point. Yeah. So you were still kind of working on the magazine and the website. Oh yeah, it was only at the very end that I was not. Yeah. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So this is not the day that the iPhone went on sale. That is like June sometime, I believe, was the when the first iPhone went on sale. Yeah. Um, in in the fact, US. that that's that's a a major. Uh, this is why everybody's going to see tenth anniversary of the I, iPhone stories this week, and also in in late June, I think it is, because mm-hmm. there are two birthdays. The iPhone's basically like the Queen. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Okay. Um, how many birthdays does the Queen have? Two. Her real birthday and her holiday birthday? She has a real birthday, and then I believe it's the birthday celebration of the like top member of the royal family, in which it is like the same time every year, and they have a parade for it. Oh. But I believe that day is reserved as a specific day, which is just the celebration of the monarch's life. The, the idea here is that everybody is able to schedule the, the public holiday for that day and if the queen got hit by a truck Mm -hmm. or nibbled to death by corgis whatever don't save her those things but yes carry on (laughs) 
Well, I thought it's highly unlikely that she's going to get hit by a truck because she would have to be somewhere where there was a truck. And I think that's unlikely that they would allow the queen to be someplace Mm -hmm. where there would be a truck. Also, it would be a lorry, wouldn't it? And so what I'm I'm saying is if something bad happened to the queen, she's getting up there now. And suddenly Charles is the king and everybody's been planning their holiday. Uh, Do they if they if it was just on the actual birthday, they would have to like move the holiday or what if they already had the holiday this year and then the birthday was later? Would they have another one? And so I can sort of see how they would just say, all right, there's just one holiday. Yep. Okay, good. I've learned a lot about about royalty now. Um, But anyway, so this is the point is the iPhone was announced and then there was this huge gap where it didn't exist. And um and a few of us, and I'm, I, I, it's fun to talk about this, um, a few of us got to hold an iPhone prototype in a briefing at Macworld Expo that week, in- including me. I got mm-hmm. to do that. And I got to lord that over everybody for like six months because I was one of the very small number of people who had actually like held it in his or her hands and uh, been able to tap around and get a little bit of a sense of how it worked. Um and there were so many challenges with this, um, including the fact that uh, the like we did we had to do uh, obviously did a big cover story about the iPhone and all of that. Here's the problem: there was no photography available other than like one shot from Apple because nobody had the phone. So for MacWorld's cover about the iPhone, we actually hired a a 3d artist to build a 3d model of the iphone based on photography based on imagery and then render it photorealistically so that we could have our own product shot of a, of a product that we didn't have wow and, and if you look at the first or second iphone cover yeah, we did we did an iPhone cover in that picture and it's got the clownfish on it and all those the, the imagery from apple but it's not a real it's not a real product shot because there wasn't a real product. <laughs> That's kind of You got to cool. do what you got to do. Yeah, it was cool. But uh, yeah, we had a guy named Joseph do it and, and it looks great. I mean, you couldn't tell. You, could, you couldn't tell it was fake. I Can think. you find you that? You had to look very closely. Yeah, I'll look for it. Sure. Yeah, I would like to see that. Uh, Google is not providing me with much use here in my image searching that I'm doing right now. Partly because the problem is Macworld and Macworld, right? Yeah. At that point. Oh, there it is. So, like, I got it. Oh, look at you. You're, you're, you, I got you got all the skills to pay the I bills. got some serious Google foo. Wow. Yeah, look at that. That looks really good. It isn't the clownfish, though. It's a home screen. Oh, you're right. Well, I think we have the clownfish inside. Ah. Apple's new calling. That's smart. Did uh-huh. you come up with that? Did you come up with that? Uh, Were you fantastic back in the day? Uh, oh, certainly, but I don't want to, you know, it could have been someone else. So I wanted to talk about this with you a little bit because you, unlike many um, of the, I guess the people that are in this Apple podcasting community, um, you are actually working in reporting on this stuff seriously for your living then. Yeah. You know, many of us were appreciating this stuff then or were fan of the stuff. And you were actually like, this was your day-to-day job like it is now. You know, I, I know it's different circumstances, but you were doing this for a living then. You were reporting on this stuff. You were going to events. You were at this event, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, um. So, Probably. like, 
you yeah. know, and, and and again, like you got a briefing and all of that. So I want to talk about some of that. And I'm taking right. uh, a page it. out of the book of one of my favorite podcasts, which is Control Walt Delete uh, from The Verge. And on mm-hmm. that on that episode on the shows, like every episode. Neil Patel will dig into Walt Mossberg's archives to pull out articles that are relevant based upon uh, the 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 topic at hand. And one of the things that I found today was an article that you wrote five years ago about looking back at the iPhone five years later, and that was from. Sounds, uh, so- a Macworld magazine, a Macworld right. web article, I guess. I just—it's funny. I just did that. Um, I just did that uh, not too long ago for the OS 10 anniversary, where I found a, I found an article I wrote after 10 years of OS 10 that was looking back on my article that I wrote after five years of OS 10. <laughs> it was like, wow, how 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 many layers down can I go here? But really, once you've once you've written the reminiscence article. Do you need to write it again, or do you need to say, "Hey, I reminisced about this"? There it is. But yeah, I I did that too with the iPhone. I wrote I wrote a, a piece five years ago about it. So I want to read a couple world. of quotes from this, and we can okay. talk about it. Uh, this is this is from from younger Jason Snell. As far as I'm concerned, the 2007 introduction of the iPhone is the definitive Steve Jobs presentation. It's the one that people will reference for as long as Steve Jobs is remembered. So uh, I did what I assume many people did today, uh, in which I went back and watched the key moment, you know, like the the, the three it? things moment. <laughs> and uh, I just want to read the quote, um, and I'll put a link in the show notes to uh, to the video so you can go watch it for yourself. But like, this is the thing that everybody member- remembers. A widescreen iPod with touchscreen controls, a revolutionary mobile phone, a breakthrough internet communications device. Are you getting it? This is one device and we're calling it iPhone. Today, Apple is going to reinvent the phone. Like that that was kind of like I've I've trimmed it down a little bit, but like they are the key parts of it. You know, the idea yeah. of him saying we have these three things. And this I really urge people to go and watch it. I was thinking about putting an audio clip in, but really like just go watch the YouTube link because it's the whole build up to that point which makes this hit even stronger. And then listen to that episode of uh of connected right mm-hmm. that one of the best things any of us the three of us have made and we're gonna we, we have like a different take on this um that the three of us on connected want to want to talk about this week where like the the effect of it's the prompt number 30 yeah that's what it was it was back back in the prompt days so you can go and check it out so i'll put it in Please there but do. we want to we want to talk on connected this week and we're going to go about like how uh with all of us when none of us were working in this stuff then and the, the effect the iPhone has had on our lives because of that like the, the path that it's let us take but as I say like what's interesting for me is that you were there and I kind of wonder for as much as you are able to really remember like you know rather than just kind of the, how it's felt over time what it was like to sit in the audience and kind of feel the the furor building because I mean you know, what we had then in, in the way of rumors is very different to what we had now everyone believed that Apple was working on a phone but nobody knew anything yeah, and in fact, the phone rumor, the phone rumor had been going so long that it was exhausting. Like, they had been talking about Apple making a, a cell phone for years, like 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 a decade. I mean, it had gone on 
a very, very long time. And I'm sure there were there were real projects that were that were started and killed over years, many years. And so there was a boy who cried wolf aspect to it. Mm-hmm. But as it heated up, I think everybody, you know, including the name iPhone, which was which was uh, sort of leaked in the last the last few days that uh, we started to get an idea of what might be in there. But it was all, it was very much the um, three blind men and an elephant parable kind of thing where we had details, but nobody could actually extrapolate from the details what the real product was going to be. Not really. There was just no way, right? Because the iPhone, nothing was that was like it. It was right so unique. It couldn't have been imagined, I don't think, like in its entirety. I don't think anybody could have sat down and given as much time possible come up with what was shown because so much of it was new, right? Yeah, and and it wouldn't have felt realistic, nor would the price. As, As much as the price in hindsight, very rapidly in hindsight, was too high, um, I think that... In reality, what was shown and what was described, I think a lot of the rumors were kind of squelched by this idea that there's no way that could be a product that they could sell because that would be, you know, thousand plus dollars of technology in that in that phone. And what did it start at six hundred on contract? Something like that. Something like that. It was and it was rapidly cut by what two hundred. <laughs> I mean, they did they did cut it pretty rapidly when I think they saw the the demand for it, and the early adopters got refunds or they got they got credit uh, Apple credit Apple credit yeah. store credit. Um, so they they changed direction on that. That's something that people forget now, but it, it actually did go out probably you know a hundred or two hundred dollars more than than even Apple realized it needed to be, especially given they were learning how to make it and all that. I think they very rapidly realized that they could move a lot of these and they just needed to lower the price. Um, and so they did. But I think the concept of making this thing touchscreen, you know, uh, with this for the time kind of high resolution display and it's all touch and it's got an advanced processor in it that makes it capable of running a no compromises kind of uh, computer interface and not something that was like a lightweight phone interface and people would be like well you know let's we got to scale it back it can't have all these features because it would cost too much it would cost a thousand dollars and there's no way there's gonna they're gonna make a thousand dollar phone and so um i think that that reduced the expectations a little bit strangely so that was that was part of it and then when you're when you're in the room, the funny thing about that is having been in the room for this one and for the iPod launch too, you know, in hindsight, it, it it looks like one of the most important technology moments in our lifetimes, maybe the most. But at the time, you know, you're evaluating it as Apple doing something new and everybody brings some skepticism with them when Apple does something new they're entering a market that they don't that they don't know about and uh and you know the downside of the reality distortion field is that when Steve Jobs shows you something part of you is like well we'll see <laughs> like we'll see if it really yeah. can do that and that is uh you try to cuz you try to counter it and and so at the time it was like it was a very impressive thing i was like wow this is way more than anybody thought it was very clear i think that this was a huge deal 
but you know it wasn't it, i mean he went on with the <laughs> i mean there was a whole presentation around it right i mean that's the that's the thing that's kind of amazing mm-hmm. and you had um you had stan stigman from from singular Ugh. who was really boring and then schmidt, and that was right uh, eric schmidt came eric schmidt yeah so there there was there was some other stuff in there that is not it's not so great but the core of it was incredibly impressive and you could definitely tell in the room um my memory is that after he went on to the second thing you know he was like oh we're gonna announce three things that uh that he started to cycle through and i was like oh i see what you're doing here and then having twigged to it i got to enjoy as he as he repeated it the kind of rumble in the audience of people who were getting it you know like he said you're getting it right and you got to remember too that this is a macworld expo audience so it's not wwdc it's uh it's press and vips and it's members of the public this is the, the we've talked about it on a previous show this is not an audience that can get to an apple event anymore right apple doesn't do public events Apple does invite-only events. But for Macworld Expo, some portion of that crowd was people who probably had, like, the fancy badges for Macworld Expo and got to stand in the priority line. And they were definitely super enthusiastic because they had to stand in a line and pay money to get the badge and all of that, all of those things. But it was a, it was a, a crowd of, of fans. So that, was, that, that adds, I, I would say, a little more electricity to the event than even the developer crowd at WWDC. I think even as good as, you know, as good as this event was, you know, going back to what you were saying about, like, the trepidation of of Apple entering a new market and nobody knows how it's going to be, I have no doubt that there were people at the time that were like, this is changing technology forever. But I don't think that you would get many of those people willing to put, like, a money bet down on that. Right, like right. you could look at it and be like, "Oh, this is going to be incredible." But well, Steve Jobs thought that the that the uh, that the what's it the Segway was going to uh, transform how people lived in ur- in urban cores. Right? I did not know I mean, that. Oh yeah, that was one of the that was one of the money quotes when Dean Kamen came out with the Segway. Um, and uh, nope, <laughs> it didn't happen. Right? It's you can look really bad. The other thing is you can you can look at something and think, wow, this is really good. But do I want to go all in on it? Because you could look really bad if you're wrong. And I think that that restrains people too. Because the thing that we could have just frankly never predicted is that within ten years, that product, Apple would have sold a billion of them, and it would make Apple the most valuable company in the world by a country mile. I don't think anyone would have made that prediction. No. It's too much, right? It's just too much. Because like on stage, they were talking about capturing, what was it, like 10% of the phone market? May have been less than that. Like it was, it was maybe a single digit percentage point and what that would mean for them. You know, they spoke about like, you know, we just need this much and it will be one per, one Like 1% of the smartphone market and one, something like that. And like a, a tenth of a percent of the cell phone market, or so. They, their mm-hmm. their sites were seemed sort of ambitious and were incredibly low. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like at the time, it was like people were like, really, you're gonna you're gonna be, think you're gonna get this much? Like that's a lot. You know, it's a big it's a big business. But now they own it to a, to an extent. Now, well, now they've got twenty five percent of the phone market and a hundred percent of the profits in the phone market, essentially. Yeah, for this most recent quarter. Yeah, and it's it really is. 
mind-boggling to look back on that, right? Like, and there were so many things though, which which really hinted at Jobs's feeling about this, like. The way that the event is set up, the way he sets the event up, you know it's important to him in like a different way to 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 maybe some other devices, like that that whole build up to that moment, and then even you know what was also announced at this event, Apple changed its name. They changed the company name at this event from Apple Computer Incorporated to Apple Incorporated. Like they, re- I think that this was a point where the company and Steve really believed that they were onto something new. But again, they didn't know how big it was going to well, be. What What are the two products on that on that MacWorld cover? The iPhone and the Apple TV, yeah, the which Apple was TV. Pre- had been had been previewed that fall as the iTV, yep, which is the name of a TV network in your fine country and or a TV channel in your fine country. Mm-hmm. And uh, they uh, didn't bother with that one. They got iPhone from Cisco, right? They got that. They licensed that name or took that name or whatever. Afterwards, they did, but, yeah, the product launched, I think, and they didn't have it. Yeah, but Apple TV, they're like you know. But the point being, they're two major products are not computers per se, right? And so, yeah, Apple Incorporated makes sense. Yep. Makes sense. The other major product at this point is the iPod, right? Yeah. And yeah. I said this on that episode of The Prompt, but the thing that always makes me smile about the introduction is everyone went crazy for the phone. Everyone went crazy for the touchscreen video iPod. <laughs> Nobody gave... Guy! Nobody gave a hoot about breakthrough internet communications device, which is frankly all anybody cares about with their iPhones anymore. That's what what this yeah. device ended up being was an internet communications device. But in 2007, nobody knew why that was important. I was struck. I read my review of it today because Stephen Hackett linked to it from his post on 512 Pixels about, about the anniversary. Um. I haven't written anything about the anniversary yet, although I suspect I will today because, you know, I just got off a plane. But um, the the thing that struck me about my review, which I wrote in a tent in a in the in the mountains on my vacation <laughs> 10 years ago, um, what struck me about it was I spent a lot of time on the phone features because it's a phone. So you care about the phone features. And I got to be honest. When I review, like I wrote, I wrote my review of the iPhone Seven, and I had a couple people ask me afterward, like, um, you know, what's your experience with uh, with the the quality, the call quality on it? And I'm like, <laughs> like, have I made a call on it? Like, it just doesn't matter to me. I just don't care. I I have made some calls, but it's just the phone aspect of it just doesn't matter at all but at the time it was a big deal it's easy to get lost in the hype about touchscreens and web browsers and forget that the phone is like its name says a phone and it works pretty yep. well as one when an incoming call arrives the iphone gently interrupts what you're doing to display <laughs> it works. carrier id information about who's calling. i had to explain how the iphone worked right mm-hmm. i mean that was part of it too is like okay let me tell you you're using your computer phone thing and then somebody calls you what happens do you miss it because you're too busy in a in a web browser? No. But we didn't no. know. Like I remember having know. a real like worry about if the iPhone had a vibrate motor. Because they weren't <laughs> very clear in the announcement as to whether oh, yeah. it had one. 
And that was such a big thing for me whilst I was at school at the time. Like I was in my last years at school when when the iPhone was announced. And I was thinking like if I'm in class, I, I don't want my phone to go off. And if I have it on the silent mode... With the switch, does, will I still get a notification? Like, will it still buzz in my pocket? You know, there were all these things that we had no idea about. Um, it, it really was, it's really such a funny thing to look back on. Uh, but I want to go back to your five years later post. And uh, okay. you, you talk about uh, seeing the iPhone for the first time. Yep. So you say, sometime during that expo week, I finally got my hands on the iPhone. I remember it well. I got to hold it in my hands for a few minutes during a briefing, and for about six months, I was one of the very small number of people outside of Apple's cone of silence who could say that. Uh, you also said, like, this was something that um, you quoted in this five-year article of your original, kind of, at the time. Uh, you said, I can admit that I found the it quite difficult to form complete sentences when I was holding the iPhone. Oh, yeah. In terms of sheer gadget magnetism, its power cannot be overstated. Oh, it was terrible, Mike, let me tell you. I'm in a room with, I think Greg Joswiak was there, I think Phil Schiller was there. It was not the B list of brief product briefers. It was the, and this was this was back when, now what Apple does is they do all their briefings in a short period of time right after they announce a product. And there are a couple different teams and they move you through. And mm-hmm. if you're, you know, if you're really liked, you get the A list. And if you're not quite as well liked, but liked enough to give a briefing, you get the B list of like the, the you know, you don't get the, I don't talk to Phil Schiller so much anymore is what I'm saying. Oh. But um, back in those days, they did like two days of briefings and they just kept rolling. I think partially because they maybe didn't have enough iPhones to do two mm-hmm. sets of briefings at once that, that were functional at all. Um, so I'm sitting there with the high-powered Apple executives, and this is my 15 minutes or whatever, 30 minutes with them, to ask them a huge number of questions that we've got, because I think I did it the second day. Which is a great time to do it, right? You want second day, not first day. Yeah, right. I mean, I, I can't I can't have first day reactions to having touched it, but I, I, I did get to see it that week. And... So I've got all these questions and I have all these details. Everybody on the staff has asked me and readers have asked me. It's like, what, what, we ask them these questions. Well, like, the reason I said the second day is good because you've got that time to get the questions. And plus, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, no, correct exactly. me if I'm wrong, but immediate first look impressions weren't as important 10 years ago. Right, right. True. I mean, they were important, but you were writing for a magazine. Like, well, no, important. I mean, we, we, we were writing on the uh, on the website. Know. You know, this this hands and fingers on the iPhone story that I wrote back then was was a, you know, that was a that was a website story. Mm-hmm. But here's here's the thing, um, I I'm I'm ready with my questions. I've got my notepad, all that, and they and they slide the iPhone over to me, and say, pick it up, and I pick it up, and it's like I. Seriously, I can't form complete sentences. I, we're, I'm trying to have a conversation with these Apple executives while I'm I'm touching an iPhone for the first time, and I'm like, um, uh, mm, uh, like I just can't even get words out because it was such a sensory experience of like just uh, it was it was it was warm. <laughs> Uh, it was probably because it was a prototype and I don't even want to know. And it was, it, the, the screen was of a shockingly high resolution and we laugh at it now if you look at the original iPhone screen, but it was, um, it was 160 uh, pixels per inch and the Mac 
MacBook Pro at that point was like 110. It was a it was a much higher resolution screen. Everything looked very pretty on it. Um, it was it was uh it was unlike any kind of product. And I had a Palm Trio, I think, at the time. Uh, it was unlike any other product I had ever held in my hand. Um, and so that was it was tough because like I would have liked to have asked them questions for 30 minutes and then spent another 30 minutes with the phone, and I couldn't. I had to do both at the same time. It was very very difficult. Uh, what I also remember about that briefing is that, I mean, everything seems smooth. Um, you know, I could press the button. I could do the things I saw in the demo. I could open the mail app. I could open the uh, open the, the web browser. They had me do a few things with it. Um, I did open the notes app. And that's the one that I really remember. I think maybe also the contacts app, but the notes app for sure. And it was a screenshot. <laughs> Like literally the notes app was a screenshot of what the notes app would look like, but it wasn't there. <laughs> did they say anything? Do you remember when you did that? I don't remember. Oh, the calculator also was a calculator was also a screenshot. I think they said something like, you know, we're shipping in June. It's not all, it's not all ready yet. That one's not ready yet. Something like that. They, mm-hmm. they probably said something that was just a, yeah, that one's not there. Um, but I, I just I remember that too, and that and years later, you know, you get the behind the scenes stories about how um, how this product came together and how they were. Uh, it's very rare that Apple announces a product six months. I mean, the Apple Watch is another good example where they they that was the one that struck me the most as being like the iPhone, where they announced it and then they didn't have it, and they had some units that you could look at. But at the at the Apple Watch event, it was like you don't touch them, or you could touch it on the wrist of an Apple employee, but um, only the things they let you touch. And I touched something I wasn't supposed to, and they're like, oh boy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh no, right? Because it's not really done. Oh, it's on fire. <laughs> and the iPhone and the iPhone was like that too, where it wasn't It wasn't like it was going to blow up. Although I'm sure if I had tapped the right thing, it would have it crashed. But, um, but there were placeholders and stuff too. But still, it didn't matter. I mean, that magnetism, that's, a, that's absolutely right. What I said, what I wrote ten years ago, it, it was it was this amazing slab that felt like it. Uh, I know this is kind of a cliche, but really, if there was any moment in my life where I felt like I was holding technology that had come back in time, it was that iPhone. It's like, how is this possible? I wonder if we'll see anything like this again. Like the closest I have felt to this, and I've said this before, is when I got to try uh, the Oculus Rift for the first time. Yeah. With the, the, the touch controllers, which are now shipping, um, I got to play with them in, in June. And it was the closest that I've been to that because it was the, the quality of the experience um, and the otherworldliness of the experience was similar in the way that it was like, I feel like I've felt the future of something, right? Because the, the, Oculus, the quality of the Oculus is so good. And it's not necessarily the that it's your first experience with a technology because the first experiences with a lot of technologies aren't very good. No. It's that first experience where it all comes together. Because yeah. I had a you know, I had a Palm Trio. I had a phone that was on a on a two G network or whatever, and and could do email and all of that. I had that. I had phones with apps before. I had a I had a what the Sony Ericsson one with iSync and all that. I had I had these phones right. But then you get the iPhone, and you're like, oh. Like it all came together. Yep. And I think VR, maybe something like the Oculus Rift with the touch controller is that maybe it is a product as yet to um as yet to exist where 
the VR stuff or AR stuff comes together and you have that same moment of like, oh, this is, they, they got it. Like, this is no longer creeping toward what we think is there. This is that leap where it's like, no, this well, is it. I mean, see, my, my argument on that would be that they did it, right? Because I've been playing video games my entire life and I've had very immersive video game experiences. But how about you now are in the game, and yeah. well, you know, maybe I've played it. many VR games, especially with the, the high-powered uh, Vive and, and uh, Rift stuff, where it's like, yeah. this is just your life now. <laughs> you yeah. are in this train car <laughs> shooting these people, like you know, and it's it, it's an incredibly real feeling that that stays with you if you know if you get the opportunity to to try out like the best of the best of this hardware, and, and uh, so it's similar. Yeah, yeah. happy birthday, iPhone. Yeah, seriously, it's a. Uh, I, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I think, in our lifetimes, this has a very good chance of being the most important technology product ever released. Yep. Because the smartphone is probably again, there may be something in the next thirty years, and I hate to say never. You know, I don't want to say it's the end of history. I mean, in twenty years, who knows what they'll be? But that leap that started with the iPhone, so that so many people all over the world have access to a powerful computer attached to a fast connection to a global data network like that pretty soon essentially everybody is going to have that is a transformative moment for for global civilization and i think you can draw a line from the moment that Steve Jobs introduced the iPhone. I think that's where it started. Maybe there'll be something else. Again, maybe VR technology is going to get to the point where we are all just in VR all the time, and that'll be a bigger deal. Um, we'll see. We'll see. But this is certainly, if not the the biggest, it has got to be one of the biggest technology things yeah. in this era. I think ultimately VR changes video games. I don't think it's going to have the, the, yeah. the wide... Like overarching change of technology that the iPhone did, you know, like you look at the word app and yeah. and what that has done. Like the iPhone has like retconned PCs. Well, this this, right? this is what I was going to say is that we you know there was a time when we were talking about well what about the introduction of the Macintosh and what about that. It feels to me now like the entire PC industry was a prelude. It was like we for a long time we had computers the size of rooms and then finally we got computers on desks but it really didn't take off until we could put them in our pockets mm-hmm. and that the the whole PC era was just a prelude I'm not saying PCs aren't great computers are great it's great but in terms of the biggest impact it seems now like that was just the beginning of the story of the smartphone Yeah it's I I don't think in that we will see anything like this for a long time. Um, I agree with you that it's like at some point there is going to be another huge product. There has to be, right? But it's nothing Direct that brain we currently interface. see. Like it's nothing. Nothing we have today is this. You know, and and it's like prior to that, like we got this in two thousand and seven. Well, we had it twenty years prior in the eighties, right? Like with the invent the advent of the PC as a thing, and yeah. It will probably be another 10 years from now, you know? And that's my intuition about about VR and AR and voice interfaces like Siri and, and 
Amazon Echo and all of those is that my feeling is there's something there that is going to be a sort of transformative thing in terms of seeing the world differently and and interacting with it and tying into our senses even sure. more directly than the than the uh, smartphones do. When smartphones take a leap because now we're touching the screen instead of moving devices that move pointers on a screen, right? Well, the next step would be to get even closer to our senses. I I imagine that all of these things that we're doing now in 10 or 20 years will lead to that moment of convergence where somebody takes the synthesis of all those things and, you know, there's something that just blows everybody away. But right. What is that, and when is that? Who knows? Yeah, it's like laptops really changed computing, but they didn't. It wasn't sure. a revolution, right? And, and I think a lot of the technology that we see right now in front of us, like wearable devices, they're like they're changing technology, but it's not an overhaul. You know, VR, it's changing gaming. It's maybe changing technology. You know, what, what Microsoft's doing with Hololens may change the PC industry, but it's not something completely new that we'd never seen before and that's really what the iphone was because there weren't any compelling touchscreen computers and really this wasn't a phone like anything we'd used you know there there were devices that had touchscreens on them which needed styluses right it was not like what apple unveiled on that day and i don't think that there's any argument available against that yeah this week's episode is brought to you by our friends over at FreshBooks. Life as a freelancer or somebody who is uh, independently employed can very frequently mean that you are incredibly busy trying to wrap up projects and prep for meetings or that call that you have in 10 minutes with a pile of paperwork that you have to get take care of and you have to do all of that before you even think about the invoicing part. FreshBooks is set out to try and make all of this easier for the people that are stuck in these situations. You know, I'm, I'm sure for many, at least I know for me and, and Jason, it's like this is the thing that we choose to do. But when you're on your own, you have to take care of all of it. And having tools that can make these things easier really makes a huge difference. The working world is very different now. And with the growth of the internet, there are more opportunities for more and more people to become self-employed every single day. And it's changing further and further. You know, more and more and more opportunities are appearing now. And people are able to kind of take their employment into their own hands. So because of this, FreshBooks has been working on creating an all new and updated version of the cloud accounting software, which is built around the idea of letting you know how your business is doing. So you're able to log into FreshBooks and every single time you log in, you'll get an update of what's changed with your business and what needs your attention. There are no more guessing games as to what's owed or overdue. It's all presented easily to you. It's been redesigned from the ground up and it's custom built to work the way that you do. You'll be able to be more productive and more organized with the brand new FreshBooks. You can create and send professional looking invoices in 30 seconds. You'll be able to build your invoices in their new WYSIWYG interface. So you will see the invoice exactly how your client will receive it. They have lots of themes and you can change the fonts, you can change the colors. So you will know exactly how it's going to look before it leaves the door, which makes you know that it's going to, you've got a full handle on just how professional you're going to appear to your client. You can set up online payments with just a couple of clicks. And FreshBooks customers get paid up to four days faster than anybody else because they let you integrate with so many ways to get paid you'll know when somebody has seen an invoice no more guessing games no more need to chase people you'll know where it is in your client's 
Q. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial of their product for listeners of this show. Just go to freshbooks.com slash upgrade. You can find out more. And then when you sign up, make sure that you enter upgrade in the how did you hear about us section so they will know that you came to them from this show. It's a 30-day free trial. If you invoice anyone as part of your work or time track even, use FreshBooks. Go and give them a shot. Trust me on this one. We have used FreshBooks since the day we started Relay FM. I think we have just crossed like 850 invoices sent with FreshBooks. I have no feeling of going anywhere else. It gives me all of the tools that I need, and we love it. Thank you so much for FreshBooks for their support of this show and Relay FM. Let's talk about, uh, we want to talk about the Amazon Echo. Yes. Uh, we are not going to use the trigger, trigger word. You know, many people will be aware of uh, Ahoy Telephone, which was a, a movement yes. that we spearheaded many, many episodes ago, years ago even, because we Indeed. got in trouble for, for uttering uh, the iPhone assistant's name. So we came up with uh, a high telephone. Shout, what should we go with? A high canister? What do you want to go with for the rest I of I don't this? know. Hello, hello, lady in the canister. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. This is, this is, so there was a new story where what we're discovering is that um, things that came up to us two years ago mm-hmm. are, as these products become more prevalent and are covered more in the press uh other people have to deal with the issues that we were dealing with with our technically technically savvy crowd two years ago so there's a little uh, bit of backstory with this yeah yeah so uh, i think it's kind of like last week there was a story uh about a young girl who ordered a doll's house via the amazon echo um she kind of beckoned with uh, a high canister yeah, well, she was playing. She was like doing make believe, like playing and talking to her little friend yeah. in the canister, mm-hmm. and they were talking about doll about doll houses, and you know, would you play dolls with me? And we're gonna take these kids to, we're gonna take our, our dolls to the dollhouse, and they're gonna have they're gonna have cookies and all of these little you can imagine it stories that a little kid would tell mm-hmm. to this device that talks but she doesn't understand the details of how it works but she knows that she can say things to it and it says things back and then uses her imagination it's adorable and somehow in there they she triggered among the things she did she triggered a, a purchase because a, a hundred dollar dollhouse and a box of uh, sugar cookies showed up at their house two days later <laughs> yep uh, Amazon responded to this story um, by basically saying you can turn off the ordering, the the kind of voice ordering if you want to. But they did also say like the the, the device speaks to confirm it because there was like one of these like storm in a teacup attempts of a story of like horror as people can buy like you know and and Amazon yeah. just did their best. They just provided some statements. They said look, you can create a confirmation code if you want if you're worried about your children ordering stuff, and ultimately. You'll get emails and things of ordered when they're shipped, and you can return any unwanted item for free. Right? It was a dumb story, like whatever. Well, I mean, what's what's funny about it is that the you know what 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 happens is you know your little kid who doesn't understand when the the little friend she's doing make believe stuff, and her her little friend in the canister says, "Would you like a dollhouse?" Um, there you know there's a voice confirmation, and she's like, "Yes, yeah, right. of course, of course, <laughs> wouldn't." 
who and, and, exactly right and and you can make a you can make a code that has to be there and and uh and there's a an email goes out which i believe you can then say no no i actually didn't want that cancel that order mm-hmm. and you can also return the item so it's it's not that big a deal although it's it's funny right it's a funny story it's a funny it's story cute. but it's not a problem story like right. also i tried it out myself today by the way and yep. uh, you can ask you say like uh, oh hey canister i would like a, order me a dollhouse and for me what it does is it just lists off the top searches on amazon and asks me if i want to buy it you know it's, yeah. it's you know it, it's kind of as you'd expect it to be it's like yes it could you know you can imagine a world in which a child could order something by accident but amazon has built in the tools um to stop this and i agree with the uh the idea of Amazon including this functionality is on by default because they're a company that sells stuff. Um, it would be sure. It would be mine. They have the tools for you to turn it off. Yeah. But yes, Amazon protect whole it, and you know, so you can shopping leave it is on what Amazon and, is yeah. about. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, uh, as this kind of uh, proliferated around the news agencies, there was a San Diego news station that ran a story about this, in which the reporter says, and we have a quote: "I love the little girl saying blank." Order me a dollhouse. At that point, Echo devices all over San Diego picked it up and tried to order the item. Yeah. So this is now another story based upon the same thing because this. <sighs> so news story talking about the little girl, and then it lit up over San, San Diego. They, about and they ahoy thing. telephone San Diego by by inadvertently saying a a, a command phrase mm-hmm. just at, conversationally. So. At most, this is kind of just a funny thing. No, nobody's, nothing's ordered because the devices yeah. will start speaking backwards, like back to the people, asking them to confirm <laughs> wow. the order. Right? They yeah. speak backwards. And unless you do, and remember, unless you do the whole thing, which we did in one of our in one of our Ahoy telephone things to and, Dan Warren. And, yeah, we we. I mean, you can you can pause things out and say, "Hey, lady, uh, send a text message to." so and so saying this and then pause and then and know that it's responding to you and then say yes i mean you yep. could force it things if you can if you know exactly the right order and are being a jerk but in this case it's a it's, it's a multi-step process and this person made a a mistaken use of step one and people noticed and probably called the station and said hey what are you doing but it it seems that it's not that dollhouses were suddenly ordered by a hundred houses in san diego right mm-hmm. apparently so here's the question, but because now the this became a news story yes. because this happened. So we have yes. layers, there's layers upon layers here. So here is the question. Should people on television, news broadcasters, you know, writers in TV shows, should they be able to knowingly speak the wake phrases of these devices? Yeah, I mean, the way, the way I put it is if I was working at the CW station in San Diego or really any news any broadcaster really i would probably send a memo to my staff saying take a look at the story there's a lot of our our listeners who have these devices in their homes and they've got them in their cars you know the phones that are set to this here and and you know the the backstory here is my news readers may not be the most technically adept people some of them are some of them don't know anything about it it's like the here are some activation phrases that you should be aware of. And if you can steer clear of using these phrases in this specific way, uh, you won't be upsetting our, our listeners and they won't, we won't get complaints and we won't be intruding on this stuff. And, and, 
I think that pragmatically that is probably a smart thing to do as a as a professional broadcaster kind of person to to make the decision we made which is let's let's not screw around with our audience and use that phrase even if even if we're not trying to mess with them we're using it to specifically refer to the key phrase let's maybe not mention the phrase because we know it's going to set off their devices and and inconvenience them so i would say my feeling on this is that if it's a genuine accident then fine Right, which it was in San Diego, right? Nobody's going to yeah. get, nobody should get punished because they said it and it was an accident. Also, I have to say, although we're often very diligent about it here. It happens. It We trigger it. We get emails. We trigger it. I mean, we get tweets, especially. When we say things that are not quite what the trigger phrase is, but close enough, the syllables, something about it, the sounds are close enough that we trigger it anyway, even though we're not even saying those words. It happens. Which, you know, which is why we cannot put aside that all of this stuff needs to be better, right? All yep. of this technology needs to be better. It needs to be better at, at recognizing when I'm not saying the key phrase, but something that sounds like it. It needs to recognize that I am a voice on a speaker and not a human being in the environment, and therefore it should ignore me. And probably it needs to get to the point where it recognizes that I'm not a voice that it knows, yeah, and therefore definite. it should ignore everything I say. There should be like voice training. You know, you should be able to tie these things to you. Which there is an element of that in a lot of these devices, but it's not like it doesn't then exclude other people. But it right. can do a good job of picking you out. And that would also allow the little girl to have a conversation with it and not be not have access to mm-hmm. the buying tools, for example, if it was good enough, smart enough to do that. But I would say that in the modern day, if a story like this is being reported. They should know not to say it. Someone should be telling... Like, in this instance, this exact case, this shouldn't have happened. They were reporting on a story in which something was <laughs> accidentally ordered by this device. And then they give the trigger word, It should word, have right? been common sense by a producer yeah. to say, do not say that word. Well, and I think this... It, it's just... Uh, first off, it looks like this was very much a, a an in-the-moment comment about the story by yeah, Oh, it was. The, it was. Hey, I I was a, I was an intern at a TV news station in San Diego. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I you know I know how this works. They've got their script. They've got they run the package. The anchors come back. They make a little comment and they move on. And this was the little comment because this is kind of a cute story. And uh, you know the the challenge is to learn from it, right? And and to say yeah. as as a if you're somebody who's speaking to hundreds or thousands or millions of people, um, do I want to inconvenience them? They tune they tune to me. Do I want to inconvenience him? Yes, this technology is dumb. It shouldn't do this. They all need to get better at it. But that aside, there's idealism right there. It's like, yeah, um, that aside, do I want to arm my people with the knowledge of how these things work so that they can just think like, oh, I should try to not say that if yeah. I can av- if I can't avoid it because it's going to inconvenience the people who are listening to me. And you, your feeling on this is, that yes, they should, right? People yes. should be no, should know this and they should steer away from it in the same way that me and you try our level best to not say these words. I think it's basic professionalism. And I, I'm not saying that you should end up sounding like you're, you're speaking in code. I mean, if you if you need to say it, you need to say it. But in most cases, it's you don't need to say it. You're saying it 
and don't mean to. And if you just file away, oh, I shouldn't use that particular phrasing. I can talk about Siri all I like. I can say things about what Apple's doing with Siri and we do it here. But I'm not going to say the first part of that phrase if I can help it. The problem with what Amazon has done is they, and, and also we can talk about Google and what Google does because Google is a two word phrase that includes the word Google, but it's there's a thing before it that you yeah. can say. The problem with the Amazon stuff is that it's a one word trigger. And that makes it so much easier to accidentally trigger, especially if you happen to have a name that is or very similar to. So, again, there are lots of issues here. I think Amazon needs to consider complicating their command phrase a little bit um, so that it's it's less, you know, or they need to make their tech better. But I do think fundamentally from a professionalism side, those of us who are communicating to to people who have these devices uh, should basically take it easy on them and give them a break and not uh, look. If we were constantly prank ahoy telephoning our audience, um, would they would they get mad at Siri or would they get mad at us? <laughs> I think they would get mad at us. Yeah, I, I you know I I do think that Amazon do a decent enough job in that they have given a name for their assistant which is not the name of the product the product is the amazon echo like right we are able to refer to like you know you can say and she asked the echo to order the thing now i know sure. that i have maybe triggered some people because some people whose name is the a l e x a name <laughs> you can change it to say echo but like you've got to stop somewhere um like you can actually change the trigger word and you can and i also think you can trigger it by saying amazon yeah, as well yeah um, yeah, so it, so it sorry has the to those option, people who've done that. <laughs> which is bad. I, and, and that's the thing that in that the Amazon have that others, you can change it. All of you the other assistants, as far as I'm aware, there is no way to change it. I actually think that Amazon do a much better job than anybody else. Um, but what I like is that Microsoft, they have their name, C-O-R-T-A-N-A, right? Like that is a name which is not Windows. Right. Uh, iPhone, you know, you've got S-I-R-I, right? That's good. Google's we can is, say is it. the, the uh, I, I'm scared to say it. Uh, All right, Google's is is the worst I think in this because it is just okay and then followed by the name of the company, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's a bit That's much. Weird. And I know that they've kind of a way that you can kind of get around it now is by calling it the Google Assistant when you're referring to it. Um, but I think it's it's a lot easier I think to trigger that one than maybe some of the others, accidentally even. So all of these need to be, yeah, all of these need to be better, um, you know, and and have more customizable trigger words or even let you pick your your trigger mm-hmm. um, from a, a long list. I mean, I, there, there are lots of lots of things that could be better here. So uh, the reason that we even brought this up is that I, I wrote a really brief piece on Six Colors um, about it just because I thought it was a funny story and also how it was another group of people dealing with the Ahoy telephone problem. And what surprised me was I got pushback from some people who said, basically, no, none of us should ever change how we talk. It's on it's on the manufacturers to fix this problem. And I, I found these people's reaction bizarre and unpleasant <laughs> because it sounds to me like what they're really saying is, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do whatever and I'm going to let the technology people fix the problem, which is like, okay, you, we do need to have the technology people fix the problem. But in the meantime, is there not some kind of consideration we should give our fellow human beings to not mess up their devices if we can avoid it? Isn't that a basic 
bit of courtesy. And I was a little surprised that for some people, they don't care about courtesy because if it's a bad piece of technology, all bets are off. I find that kind of disappointing. Yeah, I, I think we, we both agree on this one. Like, as as professional broadcasters, you know, we try our level best to stay away from it. And I know that we have obviously been thinking about it for longer because our audience and the things that we talk about, we have a much higher likelihood of triggering these things. But I think now as this stuff is becoming more and more and what I only think increasingly become more and more prevalent in our daily lives, I think this is something that more people need to consider yeah. um, about the way and, that these things right. are done. And I want to make it clear, yeah, this stuff needs to be a lot better and I hope that all of these companies are working on it because it's not good enough now. But as as people who talk to large groups of people for a living, which we do, I think having respect for your audience and not trying to mess with their technology just because you know you can, I think showing showing that basic level of respect and professionalism is probably the right move, which is why, like I said, if I was the editorial director of a broadcast news organization at a TV station somewhere, I would send a memo around or, or, a, or a radio station, let's say. I'd send a memo around saying, hey. This stuff happens. It happened in San Diego. Here are the phrases that are out there now. We'll try to keep this list updated. But just be aware that if you can avoid the actual triggers, you will you will be um, avoiding complications for our, our audience. This goes back to, by the way, the classic moment, I should mention it, right? The classic moment where there was a... Uh, a commercial for the Xbox that showed how great it was that you could use these commands to control the Xbox, including to turn it off. And it uttered the phrase that you could use to turn off the Xbox. And if you happen to be someone who had the Xbox playing that video, because the it would Xbox turn it off. was created to run TV through it, this version. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It would turn off. Turn it that, off. That commercial would turn off the actual device that you were using to watch the commercial. Stupid. Stupid. Scary. Stupid. And uh, <laughs> my understanding, and uh, I, I'd like to be corrected if I'm wrong on this, is that um, some of Amazon's commercials where they do this, they play like a tone that the Echo picks up so it doesn't trigger. Clever. I've heard that somewhere that like, or that, that or that it knows like that just the sounds that it's hearing at that point, like it knows the ad, so it doesn't trigger when you're, when the ad is on TV. Yep. But it all needs to get better. I just want to underline that, that that all of this stuff needs to get better, right? We need voice-activated interfaces are so great for so many things, but accidental triggers are a problem. (laughs) Triggers from people who are not people in the room, but voices on the speaker, it's a problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, Making sure the trigger words don't get triggered accidentally. We do have it. You know, we will watch TV and there will just be dialogue. It will not be a commercial. Yeah. It will not be trying to trigger anything. And it will go, and, and, and the echo will go off. Yeah, every now and, and then you hear it go, Ba-dunk, or it's like, I'm sorry, I didn't like, understand no, what this just meant. Shut oh, up yeah. over there. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Today's episode is brought to you by Encapsula, the cloud service that makes your website faster and safer. Encapsula have a worldwide network that can inspect every packet that comes and goes from your website, blocking attacks against your site whilst delivering your content to your customers faster. Encapsula protects and accelerates over 4 million websites every single day, from individual bloggers all the way up to Fortune 500 companies. They have tons of resources that are there for you to take advantage of to help make your website load like a dream, as well as a 24-7 operations team who are there whenever you need them and over 
100,000 customers that Encapsula have that span to millions of sites across the web means that they know what they're doing. They have the data that they need. They have the resources that they need. Encapsula have got this. You're going to be well protected and your site is going to be lightning fast. As a listener of this show, you can get one whole month of service for free. All you need to do is go to Encapsula.com slash upgrade. That's I-N-C-A-P-S-U-L-A dot com slash upgrade. This is where you can find out more about Encapsula's service and get the code to claim your free month. Thank you so much to Encapsula for their support of this show and Relay FM. It is Ask Upgrade time. The first of the year. There was some extra lasers there for the first of the year. Upgrade Those time. are fireworks, maybe. Fireworks. Yep. Slaton asked, uh, wondering how charging cycles work in regards to the AirPods. Every time they're placed in the case, they start charging. Are they going to burn through their cycles quickly? Now, I don't know enough about this stuff, but I'm sure that Apple engineers do and that they considered this. My expectation is that all of this power management stuff is built into the AirPods. Maybe yes. they don't charge all the way to 100%, even if they say so. You know, I'm, I'm sure that it's very careful about the way that this stuff is done. I have a couple of things here. One is I, I've talked to people on the iPhone power management team, and, and I know for a fact that uh, what you see isn't always the truth because uh, it's doing stuff in the background to make you feel comfortable. Like uh, you're on, on, on iPhone, your phone will go off of... It doesn't It isn't constantly trying to charge it at 100% because that's bad for the battery. So it will let it drop down to 90% and then it'll push it back up to 100%. But in that, uh, in that area, it just shows us full because, it, because otherwise people freak out and start saying, why is it... Oh no, I unplugged my iPhone, it's only 93%. What's wrong with it? So they just say it's 100% even though it's not quite. And this is just... It's people, what you're going to do? You got to... You, uh, you want to give them reassurance that it's it's behaving properly mm-hmm. even if the information that you're imparting is not actually accurate which is a challenge that's a real user interface thing that people don't often know about um the other thing i wanted to say is my understanding about how these about how modern, modern batteries work is we think about battery cycles like the idea that it'll it's the recharges are good for this cycle and so if you if you charge it from you know use it down to 70% and then back up to 100 it's a cycle that's not a cycle a cycle is using it all the way down and all the way back up and it's it, it's not like oh well what i need to do every time i i unplug them is to charge them to, is to put them down to zero and then put them back up again there used to be batteries that were like that and that if if i only went down halfway then the you know i would be i'd be shortening their lives unnecessarily it doesn't really work like that anymore is my understanding my understanding is that you could you could take that battery and discharge it halfway a hundred times or all the way 50 times and it's basically the same so i think what apple would say is don't worry about it rajiv asked i started playing with nfc tags with android do you think apple will allow native nfc tag reading in the ios ecosystem i don't I, I don't know. It would have been done by now if they had any desire to do this. I don't. I don't imagine that they will ever do this. Uh, I will. I do have to say. I, I slightly edited this question. Um, Rajiv asked, "When will?" <laughs> yes, my original answer was never. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and I'm sorry it's to break the same this time, to you, Rajiv. I would say the same time that Apple um, lets you pull out the camera app and scan a uh, a 2D barcode and have it automatically yep. do whatever 
because that's been something that Android's been able to do forever, and uh, you can't do that on an iPhone. Or puts an SD card reader or yeah. uh, replaceable batteries. None of these things are bad ideas. Um, they're just things that I don't think Apple is ever going to really do. I think Apple looks at the NFC tag. The NFC tag stuff is fun, and I know people who've got them, and you can do things like scan a, scan a tag when you're at a... At, at some location and it gives mm-hmm. you the Wi-Fi information and all of that yep. and that that's all fun but most of the NFC stuff the like third party NFC stuff beyond transit passes and, and Apple Pay and things like that they're kind of nerdy and not used frequent, super frequently and therefore not a priority for Apple like not and for for them to then have to deal with how do what's the UI for that and what are the security implications and all of that I think Apple's much happier to just leave it at completely locked down Two quick tales on this. So one, I was in a department store yesterday and they were encouraging people to download their app and they had like, you know, download it in the app store and it said, or tap. And I thought that was kind of cool. Um, you know, you could see an ad and just kind of download it. So that's nice, but I don't really need it. Like I can just go to the app store. I know how to search, but I do like that idea. Like I can see why people enjoy that convenience, right? You see an ad, you just tap it and it goes, it's fine. The other was, uh, I used to work for a big bank and, um, there was a trial, I believe, of, of putting uh, QR codes on the ads. The, the numbers were just hilarious. Like, so low. Like, you wouldn't yeah. even believe. Nobody was using these things to scan. Like, QR codes, as uh, in my opinion, very, very silly. Uh, the NFC stuff, I can see a little bit more why people might want to use that. But I still think nobody would use it. Like, in the grand scheme of things, nobody would use it. Yeah. Brent asked, after you release an episode of a podcast, how long do you keep the production files? Um, it's like until I start to get warnings of uh, of disk space for most <laughs> shows, like most weekly shows, you know, like I just, I don't keep them. Uh, for some shows that are more evergreen in nature, uh, I keep them a little bit longer. Like, for example, um, I still have all of the uh, Inquisitive ones. And right. uh, me and Gray keep all of the Cortex stuff and Selective Sync from Dropbox but for most of my shows I kind of just keep them around for a couple of months and then and then just trash them because really the likelihood of me needing the entire logic project again it's I've in the last six years that I've been doing this past a week it's not been needed for me I I delete after a few months anything that is a timely podcast so like I've got the last 40 episodes of Clockwise or 30 episodes of Clockwise. I don't even know why I have those other than I figure I, I, I basically I keep them around because if somebody finds a horrible mistake a week or two later, I can fix it. Yep. And then they just sort of sit there. And then once every six months or so, I'll go in and delete mo- all but the, the last 10 or 15. And then they queue up again for stuff that I feel like isn't timely, particularly. I will keep it around forever if I can. And that that is largely because of two things. One is I do retrospectives every year and then for various anniversary numbers for shows like The Incomparable where um, people will say, oh, do you let's play a clip from that one. And sometimes I'll go back to the original and pull the clip out. Sometimes I can actually clear out some of the noise around it because we're trying to call out a very specific thing. And so once a year, I will often do that. I'll go back to the original file and make some new clips and, and do that. And the other thing is every now and then there's some episode that becomes wildly popular 
and I'm surprised by it. And technology has advanced. Time has moved along. And I just recently did that with our uh, holiday music episode of The Incomparable. I went back to the original Logic Files, and it's two years old or something like that. I actually pulled out the ads, the old ads, and I, uh, I, I put some, I put the bonus stuff on at the end of the regular episode and i actually i stereo panned the tracks a little bit and i made a new high high bit rate stereo mp3 mix of that episode and dropped it because people say they listen to it every year and i thought you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna dress that one up and i'm gonna do that and i've done that with some of the total party kill episodes i'll do that where i will i will go back to the master file and put the um and put all the the heads and ends of them together so that they are just continuous and there's like a big audiobook file of like 18 hours of that entire story and I'll do that too. So there there are there are times when I go back but it's for those it's for it's for something where people are like, "Oh, I really like that episode from you know, from 2 years ago where this thing happened." And they'll be like, "Oh, really?" Like I did that with the Star Wars episodes we did too where you know, time had moved along, the bit rates that I had I had saved out the MP3s were really low and and I split them into, you know, into two parts, but now I can release a full version of it with all the breaks taken out. So, I do I do actually do it enough that I want to keep those around as long as I can. Craig asked, "Mike, are you installing a smart thermostat in your new home?" Um, yeah. I am not. Uh, my house is powered completely by electricity. Uh, we do not have any gas heating of any kind. So all of my radiators, you just turn them on on the wall. Um, and we have no central heating system. So you just turn on the radiators that you want. Um, we actually do have this really cool Dyson hot cool fan thing, which we've been using a lot because it's just really awesome. Um yeah, so I I'm, I don't think that there are any systems that we could use, or uh, there might be one where, like, I don't know, you get all new radiators and they're all oh, kind of connected gonna, or something. But. We're gonna hear about we're gonna hear about how there are smart radiator things where you put on the things and they can control them all and all yeah, that. Yeah, that's true. So we, but we don't have radiators like that. You have to adjust the heat individually in every single room. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. But like we don't have the radiators that have those things that you twist. It's like a little knob that you turn. We could probably get new radiators that maybe have some sort of central control unit by Wi-Fi. I'm sure that they exist. Maybe. Actually, I'm not sure. Maybe they exist. I don't know. We might look for those at some point. But frankly, this house is super well insulated. Like It's cold now in in London. Not super cold, but it's cold enough. Cold enough where you'd want heating i've not had any oh, yeah. heating on today i'm they, totally fine they totally um, make smart radiator things that replace the, the that replace your little knob and it turns the knob automatically and it senses the temperature no no no. i i know that but we don't have radiators like that like what do you okay so, so what do you have i know what you mean about the knob like the thing that you twist it's like a big dial thing the radiators that we have have this tiny little thing that you turn on the on the side that they're not like the radiators (laughs) that you're used to seeing it's not a twist it's a turn i'm not used to seeing radiators at all i don't understand radiators at all i know what you're talking about so it's it's a turn and not a twist i don't know what the difference is there right i know but what i'm saying is what you're telling me i know exists it does not work on my radiator okay right like that what the thing that you're referencing that is what goes on gas like central heating stuff, like where you have this big dial that you turn like left and right. That is not like how ours work. Um, and I, I wish I could sh- give you some kind of thing right now. I can't. There's no picture. But trust me, 
I've looked into some of this from a base level, and those things tend to work with gas radiators, or but we don't have that type of radiator. Um, anyway, so no. Wow, that's a radiator tragedy. Again, but it's it's it, it would be a concern if I felt like we needed it. Uh, okay. And frankly, we don't like. We turn the big radiator on in the in the in the in the living room, um, and that will heat the living room, the kitchen, and pretty much the hallway if it's on. And then we have our little Dyson thing in the bedroom, which is way more advanced than any radiator would be. Uh, right. And we put that on when we sleep, and we're all good. So okay. maybe at one point, one day, we might change it all, but we have no intention of doing that right now. And yeah, I, I know, I know the products that you're referring to. Like I think. Uh, is it El Gato or someone like that? There's a company that makes the Eve thermostat. I don't know. They, there's, they, yeah, and there's there's To Do, which is the smart radiator thermostat, and there's a Netatmo smart yeah, radiator valve. Netatmo, right? That's the thing I'm thinking of. That's not what our things look like. So, like, you turn that left to right. That's not that's not what our uh, temperature control looks like on okay. our radiators. Because I think that's I think that's what the, what they're doing is it's just allowing the hot air to flow in or not or the hot water to flow in or not flow in from the central boiler. Yeah, but we don't have water going to us, right? Okay, yours are just electric heaters on the wall. They're, they're, yeah, they're yes, that is the like, best. Like way the to one that it. I've got, I've got a I've got an oil radiator here on mm-hmm. the floor that is my space heater for this room, and it's electric because. That, so that's what it is. You don't you don't have you don't have water from a central boiler moving to all your radiators. Yeah, and we don't fill it up with oil I either. It, it's like they they're just basically two electric heaters. It's like they heat yeah. up uh, well, filaments. I don't fill inside, this up with oil. It's filled with oil. It comes filled with oil ah. and stays filled with oil. The oil is just the transfer medium. It's not okay. the. It doesn't burn. It just gets hot and stays right. warm. I think I think they're kind of just like toasters for us. Yeah, like just basically, you some got metal. a wall toaster. Okay. So yeah, that's Weird. it, right? So like the, the 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 existing stuff that I've seen doesn't control what we have. Okay. I have not looked into electric radiator technology enough to know if there's like All right. a radiator system you could replace. Uh, but we just don't really have the desire to go down that route right now because it's going to be expensive, and, and frankly, we're good. So that's a, a really long answer to that question. And uh, finally, today, this is a, a long question, and I don't know how long the answer will be, but Jay Mush asked, Jason, you have mentioned how your mother now uses her iPad as her main computer. In the transition from taking her from a Mac to an iPod, how did you manage documents, iTunes library, photo library, etc.? My retired aunt has a 9.7-inch iPad Pro and a dying 2006 Mac, which we want to get out of the door and not replace. So I'm trying to figure how to advise her towards an iPad-only life. Uh, this is a work in progress for me. My mother doesn't have documents. She also doesn't have an iTunes library. So the that's photos are an one issue. and two. So there you yeah. go. Uh, you want to get rid of those. <laughs> so fo- photo library, she has, uh, she's taken a lot of photos. I did a couple of things there. Uh, she is paying 99 cents a month or something for more iCloud storage. And the idea there is that I've got her iPad and her iPhone syncing to iCloud photo library. So she's getting to, you know, those photos are backed up somewhere. That is, that's part of it. She had a large-ish, um, a large-ish photo library um, on her on her Mac, and what I did was I synced that. I kept a backup myself. I've got it somewhere here, um, but I synced that with Google Photos, 
and put Google Photos on her computer. So she can look at old pictures on Google Photos on her on her phone or her or her iMac or her phone or her iPad. Um, and I did that mostly because it was free to upload those photos to Google Photos, and it was going to cost to increase her storage at iCloud. Um, if I had to do it over again, I'd probably do the same thing. I might not. I might I might put them all in iCloud, but that's basically been my solution right now. So there you go. Uh, first, delete all the documents. Yeah. Uh, I guess Apple Music, iTunes in the cloud. Does that iTunes yeah, well, I mean, in that's, the cloud, yeah, iTunes you, match? If, yeah, I mean, any if, if, if she's got a large iTunes library and it's not just stuff bought from iTunes, but it's other things, uh, Apple Music does include iTunes match. You can also just pay for iTunes match if she's not buying new stuff so yeah, much. Well, because plus match um, is cheaper, right? It's like, it's yeah. like $25 a year. Right, and I think you could do it with... I think you could do that with Amazon too, because Amazon does have a matching service yep. as well. Because I I pay for that just you know it's like twenty five dollars a year just to get my entire music library available on and or Echo. Buy her another iPad at some point in the future of two hundred and fifty six gigabytes of storage. Yeah. Just put all the music on it. How much music? She yeah. Got? Well, that's true. You just have to get it to there from somewhere. And the Mac still exists, right? It's dying, but it's still there, right? But yeah, yeah. But if it dies, then you're out of luck. So you can't. Yeah, I think you need to have a cloud backup mm-hmm. solution. But I think that's I think that's the way to do it. If you want to find our show notes for this week's episode, go to relay.fm/upgrade/one two three. I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors again: Encapsula, FreshBooks, and Mac Weldon. Thank you for supporting this week's show, and thank you as well, not only for listening. Thank you to everybody who is a, a member of Relay FM. Um, and help support us there as well. We truly appreciate that. Um, so thank you for doing so. If you want to find Jason online, he's over at sixcolors.com. Jason also hosts Free Agents, Liftoff, and Clockwise on Relay FM, as well as his incredible shows over at theincomparable.com, where you can find many all the pop culture all, shows. All the great shows. All the great pop culture shows for your delight over there. Jason is on Twitter. He's at Jason L, J-S-N-E. Double L. I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Mr. Snow. Bye, everybody.